Thank you for listening to the Women Entrepreneur Spotlight and R2RB podcast series. My guests are Naomi Girk of Bowtie Atticus Organization and Jennifer Estelle of Be and Let Live Project. Both Naomi and Jennifer are two of the hardest working champions of animal rescues and animal welfare. In this podcast, we discuss critical issues such as BSL, breed-specific legislature, animal welfare, spaying and neutering, and more. This is the first episode with many more to follow. Thank you for supporting your favorite animal rescue. I want to thank Naomi Girk of Bowtie Atticus and Jennifer Estelle of Be and Let Live Project. Naomi resides, you. in your web, resides in Delaware and Jennifer lives in Pennsylvania. So welcome to the both of you and thank you for taking the time uh, to be here for this discussion on breed-specific legislation. Thank you. You're welcome. So it's going to be uh, about animal welfare, education of humans, and more. And by the way, it is National Pitbull Month, and both Naomi and Jen have attended the Stand Up for Pitts fundraiser in New York City and Hollywood, California, correct? Yes. Yep. <laughs> that that must have been both both going to New York City and then to Hollywood just had to be an amazing time. They the were. best. Right, yeah, bad. And going we're going again. Are you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's coming up? Hollywood or New York? Hollywood is this is coming up November 5th, but next year, New York and Hollywood, we're going to do both, right? Yeah, exactly. Oh, nice. <laughs> I love it. All right. So to get us started, what is BSL and is it effective? And are there other ways of making communities safer? So um, BSL, which is also known as breed-specific legislation, it, it is an ordinance that, that does restrict ownership of certain identified breeds of dogs. And um, sadly, only 127 U.S. cities and towns have repealed BSL. Um, it's really sad because it's basically based on the physical characteristics of a dog. This type of stereotyping, it, it, it results in families being torn apart, unfair imprisonment of dogs, euthanasia of innocent dogs, forced muzzle rules, um, and even landlord restrictions. And, you know, a lot of times people will say, why don't you just move? Well, it's not that easy, no. you know, and uh, it, it's really not. And so a lot of people are forced to live by these three specific laws. It's really um, something that is devastating to families and their dogs. And unfortunately, most of BSL does focus on the pit bull type dog. Um, it, it, it really it really doesn't focus on irresponsible ownership or responsible ownership. It, it actually discriminates against responsible owners and their dogs who might fit that breed bias. And as far as addressing the social issues, it, it really doesn't help because states spend taxpayer dollars trying to enforce ineffective bans and restrictions rather than implementing, let's say, proven solutions like um, enforcing lease laws or licensing Spaying and neutering, top of our list, right, Jen? Mm -hmm. um, simple education of responsible pen ownership. I think a lot of that goes to the wayside. You know, you look at the shelter situation where they're so overwhelmed that somebody comes in for a dog and they're desperate to get rid of the dog and they get rid of, they, they give the dog to somebody without maybe a home check or maybe without even spaying or neutering the dog, you know, and, and this in turn adds to the problem. I think that one of my favorite groups, and I do know I speak for Jen and this is Stand Up For Pits. I believe that they sum it up 
as a whole, um, BSL, is we believe what is happening to the pit bull type dogs is not just an animal issue, but very much a direct reflection of a broken society, thus making it everyone's problem. And I absolutely agree with that. And with that, I'm going to let Jen move right in. <laughs> Thanks, Naomi. I mean, that that's beautiful. You summed it up perfectly. I would like to add that, you know, the reason that we like the spay and neuter initiatives and stand up for pits is because they look at the solution, not just the problem. They're presenting a problem. They're telling you that there's this huge problem, but they're also providing you solutions and how we can correct it. And it doesn't yes. always necessarily mean you need to rescue a dog or donate. It's really important to understand why we share what we share and how these dogs are saved when we start networking, we start networking them, we start, you know, fostering them. You, there's just so many ways to help. And it's been an amazing community. So true. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, so what is the critical importance of bringing awareness to uh, humans versus animal welfare? Well, I think they're both directly connected is that you can't have one without the other. There are animals that are being abused by broken humans. So I think the question is more of why would somebody think that treating an animal like that is okay? And why are these people walking our streets? There's no accountabilities. I'm not an expert on the laws, but I know that the laws need to change to protect these animals. And obviously, a lot of the responsibility falls on rescues and nonprofits because the, you know, the, the shelters that are government funded don't always necessarily allocate their funds correctly, you know, the way we see it. They would rather pay for euthanasia than focusing on the problem, the community, and the solution. And the solution really is spay and neuter. Like, I do not agree with breeding at all. That And that, that can be a whole nother show. Right. And I know that a lot of discussion like back and forth about responsible breeding. There's no such thing as responsible breeding when millions and millions of dogs are being euthanized annually. And we don't even know the numbers yeah. because there's no, there's no um, standardization yeah. when it comes to the dog coming in, the dog going out. And like Naomi said, sometimes these dogs, these shelters are in underdeveloped communities, undereducated communities, and it's a circle. It's just they dump the dogs and they come back and they get them. These dogs aren't neutered. These dogs aren't going to proper homes. They're just, there's no, like, there's no, there's no standards. No. They don't even know if the dog's going to a home where it's going to be responsibly cared for. And that's not the dog's problem. That's, that's a direct reflection of the human. So it's like if you, had higher standards of who could, you know, own a dog, then certain things probably they wouldn't, they wouldn't, we wouldn't have rescues. We wouldn't need rescues anymore. We would have safer communities that would focus on education of the proper care and treatment of animals, which is a direct reflection of the human. And, and so, and it's such a large problem. I mean, this this will never be corrected overnight. But where do we start to educate people? Because it, it's, I've said this before. I've had discussions with you both. You know, where do we start educating the humans that are in such need mm -hmm. of it that just 
you know, the abuse and the mutilations and, uh, you know, just total disregard for, you know, the animal itself. Where, yeah. where do you start? Uh, I think you really start with following certain groups that are really dedicated to pulling these animals like death row dogs. There's a lot of resources. There's a lot of groups. There's a lot of nonprofits doing some really great things to help, you know, um, fund spay and neuter to help bring um, animals into certain situations like Marley's Mutts is one prime example. It's one of my favorite groups. That's Zach Sko. And he does a lot of shelter pulls and he brings the dogs into his prison programs where they the prisoner on how to properly care for an animal and how it really helps the reform rate. So I suggest just following some really good groups that um, are doing some really good things to help their community, to help their people, to help their animals, to kind of balance out where we are right now. Really, really understand why we say adopt, don't shop. Absolutely. I know, you know, this kind of joke or whatever, but no, there's a story behind it and it's important and it's important that we're talking about it. Absolutely. 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 And there has to be a, a continued open discussion um, because, mm-hmm. you know, so many people, it's like, ah, oh, you know, I want to help, but, you know, I'm not in position to do it. I, I also say this it's it, with the other, my other rescues that I follow and it's one little thing. And that one little thing starts the domino effect with everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's sharing a post. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to go out and, and rescue a dog or right. even go, I know I can't walk into a kill shelter and volunteer, but I share a post of the people that actually go in and do that because that is mentally draining work. Oh. I am not, I would not be able to do that, but it's important that somebody does it. If somebody goes in and shows those dogs love and attention and gets them seen, otherwise they would never be seen right. and we wouldn't do conversation because nobody would understand what's going on. No. And, and, and it is important for, and maybe sometimes that's where you start your education. It's like, this is, mm-hmm. this is the end result. Mm-hmm. And exactly. That- There's so well, and I, I, and I think if, if you put it into, into real numbers, you know, I don't think that, <clears throat> People actually understand that to be a no-till shelter, your save rate has to be 90%. Okay. So that's 90%. That's a high number. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when you look at, at the entire United States, there's roughly only 57% of the shelters in the United States are no-kill, are considered no-kill. So that's really, it's, it, it's not a great number when you think about mm-hmm. it. Mm-mm. You know, and really you have the higher kill states, the the Carolinas or, or the Alabamas or the ones that have the, the not so the, the not so great animal welfare laws. And those animals, they're not they're not as much as the people are trying to help them. They're not protected in any sort of way. No. And it's really up to us to help them to help them grow and educate and learn um, because really the the statistics are drastically traumatic of, of animals that don't survive in, in our shelter system in the U S and it's, and it continues to be to grow, to be a bigger problem. Well, yeah, because you know, there's supply and demand. So when you have breeders there that are still pumping out dogs and we have shelter systems that are overwhelmed, how do you balance that out? Right. 
And when you have, when you actually have to have shelters or rescues that are purebred, because those dogs are getting dumped and abandoned too. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The shelters, they just 90, what is it? 89% of the dogs in shelters are pit bulls, but you can still yeah. get full bred German Shepherd. People think that they're buying this perfect dog and there's no such thing. No. A dog, it comes with his own personality. I have, I live down the road from this breeder that they only breed this specific, I think it's Irish setter and it will come fully trained and people pay $20,000 for these dogs. Oh you know how shelter thousand dollars, they would pour it back in the community and educate why we say adopt, don't shop. I know more could, could think of doing that than I, I don't know what. I mean, that's just well, totally insane. Well, I think Jen said it best. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no, there's no such thing as responsible breeding when, when animals are dying every day in shelters. Purebred mm-hmm. too. So, you know, there's no and reason. And you think of like the mental mentality of vet techs, of um, volunteers, of shelter workers. They have really high suicide rates. They have really high. <sighs> Depression. They they have fatigue because oh they can't. It, it's on. It's not sustainable. Well, the, well, the young girl that I was just speaking about, Michelle. She's the vet tech. She's been a vet tech for since over. Uh, how old is she? I don't know. Fifteen, sixteen years now. And I know for a fact that that is so true. And she says it all the time. That you know she has to. And I'm sure other vet tech vet techs feel the same way. That you know sometimes you just want to take you know the client coming in and shake them and say what are you doing right and then there's no laws too so if a rescue gets a dog and they don't think that the dog is being well taken care of and maybe this is where you know we can come in with our nonprofit and say uh, we can help educate this person if they really want the dog or they, they want to rehome the dog. But there are laws that require some shelters knowing that the dog's neglected, not cared for, and possibly like borderline abuse. They have to return them. And so this comes into play next with the spay and neutering. What is the mentality of people with a spay and neutering? Is it those who are breeders? I I. I I don't get it, but I see that part of it. Is it because people feel that it's too expensive? They don't feel being responsible is an issue. Are you want to take this, Naomi? <laughs> well, I think that it is more of an education issue. I, I do think that a lot of people, they they think, oh, I'll get it done or or they don't know enough about it. And then before you know it, they've got litters. At, I mean, I'm, I'm really talking. I know that dogs are a big thing, but cats are a big thing, too, especially in the unwanted communities where they're just feral. And, and it, you know, um, it's, it's just a routine medical procedure that could save so many lives, period. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and I personally, from what I've experienced in the year that I've been in trapping, is that we need county government and state help financially for education purposes for resources it it has to be done because people when if and like jennifer said shelters are adopting out dogs that aren't spayed or neutered because they need to get the dog out of there to make room for another dog right so and then sometimes sometimes they have a voucher oh you bring it back you'll get your you know people are not always accountable they're not always reliable they're not always going to do that so then what happens is they get the dog home and they think, oh, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to get it done. And you know what? Maybe they had to pay $50 for the voucher. Well, guess what? Two months goes by and they don't care anymore. So that dog doesn't get fixed, remains in that home, 
and who knows what else can happen. Do I feel it's the shelter's responsibility to follow up on that? I do. But mm-hmm. can they? Maybe they can't because they're so overwhelmed. That's where people need to come in and take responsibility and accountability of the animals that are adopted out to not let any animal leave a rescue without being spayed or neutered, period. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I just believe that. I mean, I just believe that. I mean, in a foster situation is one thing, but to be adopted out and not be, not be spayed or neutered, I think is an ultimate sin as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> no, yeah. it's, it's it, true. It's very careless on the shelter's part. But again, they're understaffed and overwhelmed and I'm not making excuses for them, but right. It's, it's the truth. And when they, um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but if they adopt that dog out, that keeps their percentage high, which means they get more government funding. Correct. <laughs> right. I sure. believe that. Yeah. So they don't, it doesn't matter what home they go to as long as they get out of the shelter. This is a whole nother show too, because this can open up a whole can of worms. This is when you have to look at who's in charge. Why are they in charge and why aren't they doing anything about it? How much are yeah. they getting paid? Well, I, Jen hit the nail on the head though. You know, it's, it's, it's in that situation. It is true. You know, the, the more dogs they get out, the maybe the more government funding they get. It's a question that always I struggle with. It's how do does a shelter have to beg for money and you have these breeders that can charge thousands of dollars? $20,000. Yeah. You just said about the $20,000. Yeah. And I mean, this is another topic for another show too. It's just, there's some breeds that are, you know, going back to why don't people spay and neuter is because people can make millions of dollars if they yep. get Frenchy dog, you know, that that's highly sought after. Yeah. And how many French dogs are in rescues. There's states where you can have up to four litters a year and not have to pay for a breeder's license. So you can literally sit on the side of the road with a sign that says puppies for $125 or purebred beagles for $250, which we have a guy that does it here. And he never is held accountable. I have written to the, I have written in and say, are these dogs neutered? Are they spayed? Are they vaccinated? I I mean, where do they come from? Where's the mom? Where's the dad? Nothing. I get nothing from animal control. So it's, or animal welfare. We don't have animal control here, animal welfare. And, uh, but, but because there's no, it's just, it's rampant. And like Jennifer said, we could do a whole nother show on that. We will. Uh We definitely will. You know, and and going back to, uh, in the beginning where you were talking about the, you know, the pit bulls being singled out and the breed specific targeted, right? right. Targeted. And, and there are, are the breeds that fall into, in under that category. I know here in the United States, do they just look at the dog and say, okay, this fits the bill or do they measure? Because I thought I read, and I know that, you know, maybe here is different um, than in London and Canada, but do they measure the dog? Do they take? I think it's, European countries, they measure the dog, looking at their characteristics and then putting them under a label and then saying that they're a dangerous breed. So it's, it's, I mean, they take a look at the dog's head size and chest size instead of his personality and adopting him into the right home. So is it, is it animal welfare that's making that call? Who's, who's, who's saying that dog fits the, this description of. I think like with. So when a dog comes into the shelter on intake, one of the questions you have to ask is, what's the breed? So why did, why, why is the breed? Exactly. So they look at the dog and they look at, right. 
Well, I, right. I have to, I just have to interject a little bit right here because, uh, a mutual friend of ours, Emily, uh, from Canada, who was a children's author, uh, and her daughter, Sydney, um, when I interviewed them and I said, I was talking about their dog and I happened to say Pitbull and Sydney said, well, she, said no. she said, no, we don't call that. We don't call them pit and pulls here. I said, well, I learned something every day. What do they call them? And she said, or do you call them? And she said, we call them good dogs. I said, I like it. They're yep. all good dogs. They don't have a breed name. Yeah. I love Sydney. Yeah. She's, she's amazing. <laughs> but is. I think Jen hit the nail on the head. If, if Atticus was in a shelter, because my dog is, is, lab staffy of Boston Terrier in a, in a breed specific legislative state, he would be, if they wanted to adopt him out, they right. would just put lab mix. That's right. It. But so they're not letting a blood But test. if they did his, not, right. and, but if they did his DNA, they would see that he is, he has American staff retired Terrier. So therefore he could literally fall under breed specific legislation. It yeah. is, it's just mind boggling because as we, you all both have mentioned personalities and that comes into play. I mean, at one time and maybe still the pit bull, you know, unfortunately, um, the, the humans, the adults that are irresponsible and then we're breeding them for fighting. Um, you know, then they've got such a bad reputation back, back when in the eighties. And then I had a pit bull. It was the best dog ever. It was a good dog. Yeah. Uh, I, you yeah. know, yeah. I mean, my two older girls, they would take a hold of him and, and walk. He was their walker. And so, yeah, it's, it's just mind boggling sometimes what people will come up with. And I understand. And I, I know you both do also that. Yes, there are, there are dogs that, you know, what, for whatever reason, just like with humans, we all snap sometimes, right? Yeah, a lot of these dogs that come from the shelter have not had the best interactions with humans. And again, it falls on the nonprofits, the volunteers to try and figure out the behavior of the dog and what the dog needs, because you don't know the backstory behind the dog. No, Like you, we dogs coming in that are starved, that are mutilated, that are set on fire, horrible, horrible things they do to these dogs. Some of them, some of them can't recover. You know, because they're so traumatized. Absolutely. And we can all relate to that. You know, it's like, like you said, yeah, I I do snap every once in a while when I'm triggered. And it's the same thing with the dog. It doesn't matter. It does not matter the breed. No. Right. No. Naomi said earlier, too, it comes down to responsible breeding. If you want to get a terrier, any kind of terrier, a Frenchie terrier, a bulldog terrier, a pit bull terrier, an American boxer terrier, Terriers are very high strung. They have a high prey drive. You need to know these things and you need to know how to handle these things in a responsible way because you're the one that's advocating for this dog and you're the one that is this dog's voice and you don't want to set them up to fail. Absolutely. I mean, exactly. when I first adopted my first pit bull, he was labeled as a terrier mix. And when I adopted him, I you know, was a little nervous because of the things that I heard. And I had to have, I had to educate myself so I could have these conversations because when I would tell people that he was a pit bull, I would always get, he's going to turn on you. Why would you get a pit bull? And he was the sweetest duck, the sweetest. Yeah. Yeah. And he's labeled dangerous. It's just, I don't know. I mean, it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. Well, it's ignorance. It is total ignorance. Absolutely. It's ignorance mm-hmm. that it needs to be educated. It, needs, yep. it, it It's definitely an issue that, I mean, 
I, 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 I did an event for a, for, for an organization that, that is a pity rescue. And I can't tell you how many, I have a bow tie that says NBSL and I can't tell you how many people ask me what is BSL. Mm-hmm. And I really thought to myself, God, I, I thought everybody that was in rescue knows what that is, <laughs> but, uh, but they, they, they don't. And education is the only way to, you know, spreading the word, like Jen said, sharing, um, educating, talking about it, getting it out there. It's the only way change will ever be made, period. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Ladies, I want you to take a, a moment each. Uh, Naomi, uh, just before we even get into that, thank you so much. We, we do need to do more segments on this because it's just so important. And if we're going to talk the talk, we might as well do it also. Um, <laughs> right? Naomi, uh, yeah. Bowtie Atticus, tell us about that. Uh, so uh, we are a small business, and I um, we create bow ties, and we also do flowers. And what we do is we donate back for everything that we sell to rescues. I, I choose a rescue every month. I do have uh, set months with specific rescues, like every October is Stand Up for Pits, uh, because it is Pitbull Awareness Month. We're going into our ninth year, and to wow. date we've been able to donate over $40,000 in product wow. and cash oh my to rescues. I just wanted to grow. I, I just, I want to do as much as I can to help, period. That's why I think I'm here. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I love your bow ties, as you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get some for the chickens well, next. you know, you, you were, um, you gave me the opportunity to make my, my first bow ties for horses. So oh. thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. They, oh my gosh. They all look so cute that day. And, and Jen, um, Be and Let Live Project. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so the Be and Let Live project is my nonprofit. Naomi is actually the presidente. Um, and we're some things together that we will sharing as soon as we, um, kind of, you know, get it all together and, and figure out exactly how we're going to do it. But the mission is to help bridge the gap between animal welfare and human welfare. And how we do that is, you know, holistically, it's helping people heal. Um, it's being connected to your community, helping, just helping, um, getting the, mm-hmm. doing everything good, putting all this good energy out there with this right intention. And well, recognizing that it starts at the human level. Absolutely. At yeah. the human level. Ladies, uh, again, yeah. thank you so much. I am looking forward to continuing this conversation. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the Woman Entrepreneur Spotlight and R2RB podcast series. For more information about being a guest on the Woman Entrepreneur Spotlight and R2RB podcast series, email me, deblamana, at info at r2rb.com. You can find R2RB on Facebook and Instagram at R2R Broadcasting.